Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The pandemic crushed air travel, but that wasn't a bad thing for every company. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Mark Perron, the chief executive of Montreal-based CAE Inc., a company that designs and manufactures flight simulators, trains pilots, makes aviation software, and in general derives a lot of revenue from flying. Since the pandemic began, CAE raised $1.5 billion, and Perrant started a shopping spree that so far has included nine acquisitions, all of which have expanded the reach of CAE and helped to pivot into a more digital company. He said he's preparing for a world of urban air mobility, that is, urban air taxis that capitalize on new electric motors and sophisticated software. He insisted that the future is closer than many people realize. Part of the occasion for the interview is that Perrant was honored earlier this month as a living legend of the aviation industry. He had his own love affair with flying when he was a kid and obtained his pilot's license as a teenager. I asked him what it's like to lead a powerhouse of Canada's aviation industry and about how the pandemic has changed the way we work and do business. As always, the interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Mark, welcome to Down to Business. Pleasure to be here. So your company is about as closely connected to air travel as possible. I'm wondering what your mood is these days. Well, you know what? You you might find it strange, but I've never been more excited about the growth prospects of this company. You know, obviously, we're in a difficult time, and uh, we all hope it'll end soon, and I'm actually quite confident that it will. And the things that ails us, a lot of it, you know, the corollaries such as border restrictions, things like that makes it tough to travel. But those things will come to an end. As I really communicated to employees right at the beginning of this crisis, all crises, as bad as they are, they come to an end. This one will too. And, you know, I can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, with the moves that we've made as a company during a pandemic, I, really, it's no exaggeration that I, I think we've transformed you know this period of you know honestly strong adversity into a strategic advantage for our company, and we're going to come out of this stronger, more profitable, with more people, and in a stronger position than we ever were. So, so call me excited, call me optimistic. That's great. I'm wondering how you think your company will be different when you come out of this. If you have plans specifically for employee morale or going back to the office, what types of issues you're focused on? Well, you know, what I find really, really rewarding is to see employee engagement, because we measure that on a very, very regular basis. It's as high as it's ever been. How do you do that, by the way? Well, through various means. You know, we have internal tools where we literally poll employees every week and they provide feedback. And I gauge it anecdotally, like I, ever since the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I've gone on to make a an address every month to all of our employees, both in French and in English, and just talk to them about, you know, really a conversation about this is what's happening in the company. Make sure everybody really understands the situation where are being very transparent and answering people's questions, honest, being an honest assessment of what's going on and where we're going. That has really, really paid off. 
In fact, I think this is one of the things that's come out of this whole episode is this new ability we have. I mean, certainly I wouldn't want to do that exclusively, but the ability we have to communicate on a virtual basis, reaching a much wider audience on a regular basis where we can answer the question. So it is is very, very clear that we come out of this much stronger as a company. You know, we've we've ridden this adversity together. We've stayed safe. We've managed to grow. We've managed to service our customers. And, you know, people tell me all the time they couldn't be prouder to work for this company. So, you know, people is what it's all about. Anybody knows me, you know, people say it's all about people. I know it's all about people. And because of the people we have, we come out of this stronger. Do you have plans yet for returning to the office? Well, you know, those plans, like everybody else, continue to be a moving target, right? We do have plans. In fact, you know, since the past year, we put a program in place to say, this is what return to normal will look like at CE. And return to normal will be not the normal that we saw before. You know, we've learned, as I mentioned before, we've learned to communicate with each other, to work in a, in a virtual world. That doesn't mean it's probably the most efficient way to uh, to work. It is in some cases. It brings us huge advantages for people with, you know, to work lifestyles, for example, for parents with, you know, with young families, those kind of things. So we will adapt. We call that pro- the program a specific, you know, <clears throat> moniker, but really, it really says that when we come back, a, a portion of your time will be able to be virtual. And that's going to be dictated by the kind of job you do and, of course, your willingness to do that. So when we do, well, you know, it'll, just, it'll depend when Omicron stops and government lets us back, particularly in Quebec, but I suspect that will be relatively soon. Will the office layout and anything in the office experience be a lot different? It will be. Uh, it will be in the... And uh, the the answer, it depends where. Like in Montreal specifically, we had already undergone a plan to really radically change the office layouts uh, throughout the company because we're more a software company than than anything else at the company. So for years, as part of our, if you like, uh, digital upbringing, a revolution every company is making these days, as part of that, a few years ago, I took my whole team to Silicon Valley and we did a number of those benchmarking visits and other great companies right here in Montreal. Like uh, I remember seeing my good friend, the CEO of uh, Lightspeed, for example, and seeing their office layouts. And so we've adapted. So we have open air offices that really lend themselves to great uh, work around innovation, sort of like you would, you would see in the Silicon Valley. But that open air space lends itself very well to the kind of workspaces that you need in a post-COVID world. Yeah. So I want to take a step back a second. As I understand it, you learned to fly as a teenager, like even before you could even drive, you were flying. And you've had a really long career in the aerospace industry, starting at Canada Air and then Bombardier. And Quebec is blessed with a really rich history when it comes to aerospace. How important was having that industry? Well, I think it's very important. It's very important. You know, you you cited the years that I've been in the industry and it's been my whole career. Uh, And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that's, you know, truly blessed that really work and where my passion is and has been, you know, from a very early age. So I've been a student of aviation, of history in this country overall uh, throughout my career, as it is my passion. And if you look at how the industry has grown, as I said, I've been a poster child of that growth. When I started back in the early 80s, there wasn't that many Canadian aerospace engineers, and certainly not in Quebec. It goes right back to 
you know, the, the close of the Aero program that back in 1959, a lot of companies were in trouble. Even at that time, Canada Air was in trouble when I joined in, in the early 80s. And so subsequent to do that, you saw the growth of aviation, that the growth of our ecosystem in Montreal specifically and in Quebec, where you saw companies invest in R&D, like the Bombardier invested in the CRJ that took off and was a resounding success. That brought new suppliers to Montreal. It brought uh, university programs. You know, when I graduated, you could only get an aerospace engineering program at one place in Canada, that was Toronto. Today, there's four of those programs in Montreal alone. So all of that was critical. This, the ecosystem that we have, the cluster that we have in Montreal is paralleled only in the world in Seattle and Toulouse. We should be very proud of that. Right. A lot has changed since you started. Early 2020, just before the pandemic, Bombardier ended its involvement in the commercial airplane making business. And the pandemic has kind of reopened a debate about what we can and should do for supply chains in this country. Are people thinking enough about industry, in your opinion, and how to revive it? Well, I think it's a debate that we need to continue to have. Certainly, when I talk to uh, government officials and all that, I, I say, look, we, we need to make sure that in those sectors that are important to Canada, we need to be masters of our own destiny. And, and you see that happening. You saw, you know, when I was growing up, uh, again, in the early, going to school back in the early 80s, in Montreal, uh, here, right not far from where we headquarters in, on, in Saint Laurent, there was a host of pharmaceutical companies. and But they all went away in the 90s, in early 2000s, to the extent that we hadn't almost no such capability when the pandemic hit. Now you see, for example, government resetting the conditions for companies to come back in that sector. And and you see them coming and you've seen uh, the, the Minister Champagne announce those. And I think that's a great thing. And I, I think that's very important. You know, the analogy I, I would use is, for example, Canada, like any other country, you know, even though they could source, for example, their equipment for conflict anywhere in the world, but you want to make sure that you have a domestic source of supply for that, because when you're in crisis, you're going to need it. So I think that applies to many sectors. So I think that's a debate that we need to continue to have. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The federal government is keenly focused on climate change and has said that it thinks that decarbonizing industries can not only be good for the environment, but could give a lot of sectors a shot in the arm. This summer, your company received $340 million from the federal and Quebec governments, which was for R&D. Do you think that we could see climate change really become an opportunity for companies? Well, sure. Any kind of catalyst for innovation is always good. And, and there's a great catalyst. In our case, you know, I think what to remember, you know, we benefited from that program with federal government. But what you need to look at that is those are loans. To be able to access those loans, the repayable loans, we have to invest, and we've announced that we're going to invest over a billion dollars in research and development over the next five years. 
that is really an investment that we're making, and we're investing in green technology, specifically the whole world of uh, urban air mobility, which is a very, very exciting market. Uh, I, I think that market is coming sooner than people think. It's going to change the way people travel and the way merchandise travels within short distances around cities, say within a 100-kilometer range, for example. Well, what has always stimulated innovation in aerospace is power plant technology. You saw that from the change of piston engines to going to jet engines. Here's another huge radical change, which is the innovative technology that's coming out of electric propulsion, coupled with a very sophisticated digitally enabled software that's permitting these inherently aerodynamically unstable aircraft to fly and to fly safely. So you have a way of traveling now that is, from a, a point of view of emission, incredibly more efficient, incredibly more quiet than, for example, helicopters, which in a lot of cases they will replace. So you'll be able to travel from, say, an inner city core to a suburb or to the airport or something in a very efficient manner from an energy standpoint and, of course, from a time standpoint. So I think that's going to radically change things. It's going to radically change things as well for the transport of packages. And, and I think for us, that's an opportunity we're investing in, going back to the R&D money that we talked about. We're investing over a billion dollars, not only in that, but specifically in that area, to be able to come out of this as the preferred partner for training crews, air, the pilots that will be flying what people call urban air taxis. And for us, that probably generates opportunity over you know, 60,000 new pilots in, by 2028. So it's a great opportunity. Wow. This sounds like science fiction, urban air taxis. Has this technology arrived yet? Or is a lot of it under development, but moving quickly? It is moving quite quickly. I, you know, I qualify to kind of like the Wild West right now. It's, it's kind of like aviation in the 30s where you had, you know, literally dozens and dozens of companies that are taking advantage of this. As I mentioned, this new propulsion technologies, these new materials, the new software. And there, there's a host of these companies. And, you know, not all of them will be successful, but a lot of them will. And so what you see us do is being, if you like, an ecosystem orchestrator in this area. And uh, you've seen us announce contracts with some of these companies, like, for example, already with a company called John Air Mobility with Beta Technologies. It's just south uh, of Montreal here in Burlington, Vermont. Volocopter. It's not quite the Jetsons yet, but it's on the way. As you're talking, it got me thinking, too, about the energy transition. And earlier this week, the CEO of Tech Resources gave a speech where he said, there's so much change coming down the pike right now. What we really need is a clean industrial strategy in this country. Do you agree that we're facing challenges, even after we emerge from this pandemic, that require new approaches of public and private partnerships and things like that? Well, I think there's everything to be gained by partnership within the private and public sector. And I think one of the things that we've seen during the pandemic is how powerful that can be. And we don't need a crisis always to be able to generate that level of activity. You, you just look at what we did during the pandemic as a company, and, and we're not alone. There's a whole host of companies across Canada that did this, and that is to lend the hand to the government to you know get us out of this. And again, I'm a student of history, and at any time, during a conflict or a major crisis, the industry has always cooperated with government. World War II, we have 
You had a whole host of companies transforming themselves from manufacturing companies to building uh, new transport aircraft, fighter aircraft, tanks, transport vehicles. So for us as a company, for example, we transformed ourselves when there was no ventilators to be found anywhere in the world. We challenged ourselves as a technology company, as a manufacturing company, and designed a new ventilator from scratch, putting 130 new vendors across the country that have never developed parts for ventilators to produce them. And, and and why did we do that? Because not only were there not ventilators, there was no parts anywhere because for the same reason. And with that, with a contract from the federal government, we produced 9,600 for the federal government in support of Canada's stockpile. So this is just one example. I can, hold, I can give you a number of, of them. For example, we I started you know a network of CEOs across the company to lend a hand the vaccination effort. And with that, we partnered with Canada government and we industry vaccinated 400,000 people free of charge. So again, we can never do enough. And and let's not waste for crisis to stimulate that partnership. Yeah. I mean, thinking of this pandemic, you conducted nine acquisitions. What was it like doing business like that? And what was it like conducting due diligence on companies, merging new hires, integrating companies? Well, you know, it's... I mean, to say it, an, an exciting time is to, uh, you know, obviously an understatement. Uh, it's a challenging time, but it's, it's extremely rewarding time. We challenge ourselves. Look, uh, as a company, we were facing down uh, a civil market where 90% of the world's airlines were, were grounded. It's, it's unprecedented is a way overused, but an understatement as, as a, an adjective on that. So we, we went from that to really saying, are we going to wait? for three, four, five years for the market to come back? Or are we going to challenge ourselves to innovate and find a new strategy, a strategy that we laid out for ourselves, one based in technology to, if you like, widen the aperture of the horizons for this company. And we did that. We did that. We challenged ourselves through innovation, as I mentioned, the investment that we make in research and development, and these nine acquisitions across the whole spectrum of our business. And we managed to do the hard work of integrating those acquisitions. We're not done, but we're well on the way during this time. I, I, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of grit and people working together. And I, I can't tell you how proud we are. And as I said before, our people come out of this even more engaged in this company. Yeah, I want, I'm wondering what it actually felt like to do some of this work. I, I looked between March 2020 and March 2021, your revenue dropped about 18%. But at one point in that first month of COVID, your stock was down as much as 68%. And I wanted to ask what it was like to be in that moment trying to push a company through this. First thing I would tell you is I, I never looked at the, the value of our stock from one day to the next or even what was happening during that time. Even during that period? Even, no, especially not during that time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because what was happening is Again, nobody knew what was happening. It was, it was like at that time, like trying to catch a falling knife with the, the drop of the industry. So people looked at us in a, in a large in a large case and looked at us. Well, the airline industry is going to be in a in a, in a great you know woe for many years to come, and therefore CE is a provider of equipment and services to the airlines is going to follow that same fate. And therefore, if you like our you saw our stock performance, it mirrored that of airlines. But very quickly, people realize the fact that we're not an airline. We're a very diversified global company. And the service that we do provide to airlines and business aircraft and the defense sector is an essential service. 
you know, what we do training pilots, uh, I, I say it's like akin to fuel. It, when you fly an aircraft, whether it's full or it's empty, two things need to happen. One, you need to have fuel to fly that aircraft. And two, you have two trained pilots flying those aircraft. And those pilots have to be trained on a regular basis from to meet the regulatory standard back into a simulator every six months. So there's a, a level of stability for a business as long as airplanes are flying and airplanes are flying. So to me, the lesson throughout all this is certainly one that, you know, I've always felt, which is, you know, keep your eye on the future, manage your company, you know, for the things that you can control. And the stock will eventually will reward you for the performance that you show them. Well, since you're talking about the future, I wanted to note that you're going to be honored as one of the living legends of the aviation industry. And so I'd be remiss to ask you, given how much experience you have, what are the big changes you see coming down the pike in terms of air travel? Well, I think that the best years of aviation are still ahead of us. Uh, that's the thing. If you look at the video I, I made as part of the acceptance of that huge honor that that's bestowed on me to be a living legend, very humbling. Uh, I say that the best years ahead of us, and part of that is the the innovation that's coming out of this whole transformation led by the urban urban air mobility market that's coming out of these air taxis that we that some people call them. That's one sector. And if I look at aerospace writ large, including space, look at all the technology that's coming out of the private sector for in the space this, uh, sector as well. Look at you know what's happening with. New, new capabilities and bringing people to lower Earth orbit. There's a huge amount of technology, a huge amount of innovation that's happening. That's very, very exciting. So I think the future is still ahead of us. The bright future is still ahead of us. That's great. Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on Down to Business and talking with me. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. That was Mark Perrault, Chief Executive of Montreal-based CAE Inc. Thanks for listening to our show, sharing episodes, and rating us on your podcast app. A big thank you to Bryce Hall, who produced this show and composed and performed the original music, and to the crack editing team at the Financial Post, including Pamela Heaven, Victoria Wells, and Noella Ovid for their web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com or in any of our five weekly newsletters covering energy, the economy, finance, investing, and the workplace.